This is a production of Cornell University. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is episode three of the Cornell Turf Show, uh, season three. Uh, today, our, our guest is Dr. Kevin Frank of Michigan State. Um, we're going to talk to Kevin about uh, some winter injury things. We talked about this last week, and it continues to be uh, one of the big issues we're seeing on golf courses. So uh, excited to get to that conversation. Uh, but first, we'll get to the other Dr. Frank, uh, Frank Rossi. As always, you've got some uh, some thoughts for us to start us off this episode. And, and Kevin, we taught the Great Lakes School, and everybody kept saying Kevin and Frank, and we didn't know who they were talking to. So thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Carl. Welcome, everyone, to our uh, second golf show. And, of course, it's going to be dominated by what's dominating the conversation in golf. And we're really fortunate to have Kevin here, who's, whether he likes it or not, is stuck with this as an expert uh, now. And I, and I think when you think back about sort of the foundational work done uh, in um, winter injury, it was done by Dr. Beard in the 60s uh, back at Michigan State. So how about a smile for our dogs? Uh, I, you know, always grab one. Chase uh, has a dog that decided to pass on the collar. Opie's in uh, for more of managerial role, uh, but still comes in every day. Just love when the, uh, the dogs have uh, very specific jobs uh, that they're tending to. And, you know, you, you, you want to get a golf course superintendent emotional about something, talk to them about their dog. Okay, Carl, it's all yours. Our environmental research project needs another update in the outreach and education session. Yeah, so we're, we're going to continue with our, our BMP tips of the day. Um, and, and on our poster, you'll see uh, one of the tips we actually have in the water section is, is let it, letting data tell the story. And uh, on this poster, we talk about using uh, evapotranspiration data, ET data, to guide your irrigation decision making. Um, but there's other types of data we can use. And I saw this really interesting data. This is from Chris Tritterbaugh, the superintendent at Hazeltine National. Uh, and this is essentially him taking uh, smoothness measurements every single day on his putting greens. So we call this the bobble test. You rate it one to 10, but he's using this data to figure out how long after a disruptive practice do I get back to kind of my ideal level of smoothness? So he likes to be at a nine or better for, for his golfers, a very uh, avid and, and experienced golfing group at Hazeltine National. So that's sort of his standard. You could say the Hazeltine standard is a nine. And, and as Frank's drawing here, you can see the amount of time there's a heavy sand top dressing there early in May. And you see it takes almost two weeks for the greens to get back to a smoothness level that they deem uh, as their threshold, their standard. Um, and so this is an interesting concept, uh, you know, thinking about how many days can I give my golfers uh, the greens that they expect and that they want. Um, and as we get Further into the season here, I know people are going to want to get out and, and maybe do some some of these disruptive practices, whether that's top dressing, uh, poking some holes here and there. Uh, just just being aware of maybe this idea of how many days can I give my golfers really great playing surfaces? And if you do those disruptive practices in in the shoulders of the season, there's certainly times when you when you when you should do that, but it's going to take longer to recover. The grass isn't growing at the same rate, right? So. These, these, these prolonged times of, of less than ideal uh, conditions, maybe you should take that into account. If it takes three weeks to recover from aeration in the fall, but only two weeks in the summer, can you start talking to your golfers about how many days they would be getting good greens and maybe being able to convince them doing this at a time where it recovers faster it is going to help them uh, overall over the course of the season. So 
taking some of this data, I think this is a great idea. You can follow, uh, Chris has a blog series coming out. He's releasing kind of once a week, once every other week, uh, his thoughts on, on this sort of data. I encourage you to check that out. I'll throw that in the chat and that'll be uh, the bottom of the YouTube video here, but a good way to think of, of data and, and how to use it to your advantage. Okay, Carl. Well, let me uh, go back and set up the winter issue again, uh, just to remind everybody, you know, moisture is a critical part of this thing in our neck of the woods. You go out to where Chrysler, you know, is in Nebraska, you go out to the places where Kevin's from in North Dakota, uh, they got a totally, they got the other issue that they don't have enough water they get no snow and they've got wind issues. Although looks like the old Dakotas had their fair amount of moisture when you consider the fall till early March, right? This is last fall through early March. Now for the Northeast, right? Again, this is a slide I used last week, just you know to remind you, we had some places that were in excess of 150 to 200% of normal throughout the Northeast. At the same time, we heard from Art D. Gaetano, our climate center director today, that actually parts of the Northeast are starting to get dry, almost into drought conditions uh, over that December to March period. So it wasn't wet for everybody. And, and certainly when I look at where the injury was, I don't know that this particular data indicates how wet it was, but it certainly there certainly were parts of the Northeast that were significantly wet. And here's that drought uh, condition that uh, Art talked about. This is the update from last week, right? It gets updated on Thursday after I do the uh, show here with Carl. And, and you can see uh, this area up north continues to be dry. And we're really starting to see the Philadelphia, Southern New Jersey areas where they got really sandy soils too. You get down to that part of the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, you're pretty sandy down there, uh, which could make the conditions worse. So when it comes to moisture, I will tell you, I visited a golf course this uh, week that said that I visited winter injury damage on and said the greens where they put these drainage in, these old Poshapoa greens, where they put these XGD lines in, did not experience injury. Now, I don't know. If, you know, Kevin will tell you, this isn't something you can know every time if this is going to work the way it did. But in this case, this one golf course, they had six greens, they put the XGDs in, and those were greens that would normally have some damage and this year did not have it. So obviously there's something to be said uh, for improving drainage. Now, when you look at winter injury patterns, this is some winter injury from the black course back in 2003. Right. And you can see in the middle of the 16th green here, when you've got these big bowl shaped areas where you get water accumulating and staying longer. Um, you know, this is a this is an easy pattern to see. Right. I'm trying to set this up so that you can see, well, there are some patterns here. Now, the other pattern we talked about last year were these freezing and thawing cycles. Right. It warms up. There's standing water. The, the water gets hot, passes it into the soil, right? In this case, it's excluding the moisture, it's getting some air in there. But when, when you break dormancy, right? When, when you break dormancy, this is work out of the Prairie Research Center we talked about last week at four annual bluegrass ecotypes, you know, experiencing different warm ups for different lengths of time 
and you see the dramatic drop, right? This plant went from 50% of the plants dying at minus 24 to 50% of the plants dying at 17 degrees. So it's going to be ecotype related, right? It's going to be how long it was warm related. It's going to be moisture related, right? This is our 18th hole on the Cornell golf course, right? What, what looks like a clear water path, right? A clear path where water was trying to get off the green. But this is something, Kev, I got a picture off of one of your blog posts in 14. I'm gonna bring this up when we get to chatting. But the interesting question is, what is dead, right? What color? I mean, look at this. You got brown, you got yellow, you got sort of yellowy green, right? You got some dark green. There's all different colors here. And then you look close and you're like, ah, you know, wishful thinking. Is it dead? Is it alive? Here's what I can tell you. All, uh, all of this grass is injured in some way. Now, the extent of its injury is going to determine the conversation for today. What can we expect from recovery, right? So before you go, we go crazy, like trying to recover, the question comes up, huh, my green looks like this. My proxy thing says it's time. Should we be making growth regulator applications to these surfaces uh, that are damaged? Now, if you don't have a damaged surface, Kevin's GDD tracker and our tracker seems to indicate even up into the Finger Lakes, we're in an ideal time uh, for the spring application. Again, hopefully you made a fall application. Of course, it's an interesting question. If you made a fall application, how does it help recovery or hinder recovery? But this is a topic of discussion. The timing is saying it's good. If you know you're not injured, obviously this would be an ideal time to make, oh, I'm going the wrong way, to make that application. Now, the solution to this is not have POA, but unfortunately, that's not really an option for most people. So when you go to surfaces, and in this particular case, you see the damaged annual bluegrass, and you can see the bentgrass really just thriving here with, with no problem at all. And again, we talked about it last week. This is one of those Achilles heels of annual bluegrass, is keeping it alive uh, through the winter. So here we are, we're getting in the season and it still looks like this, right? So Kevin, one of the things that I want to talk about is, you know, how do we get it moving faster? Well, clearly covers uh, is one way to go here. And of course we know what covers are doing. They're driving up the temperature there. Um, so what are we expecting? What did we get and what are we expecting temperature wise? We've been warmer than normal. The last week was as much as 10 and 12 degrees above normal in some places, around normal, closer to the coast, right? Impacted by the, the, the ocean, cooling it off a little bit. But inland, we were as much as 12 to 14 degrees above normal, which, which was good. Uh, but it's not good looking forward. The degree day accumulation moving forward is in the single digits, which is not a good forecast for accumulating heat. I pulled this particular uh, look at sky cover. You can go to the National Forecast Center and look at how much sun you're going to get, right? And then you realize why on earth Kevin and Carl and I live in the most miserable places uh, in the world where the sun doesn't shine. Kevin is one of those few people that lives in a university at a cloudy place like we do. But obviously, this is going to be a significant component. 
even if the air is warm, to really accelerate these conditions, you got to have sun. So uh, not only are we not going to have sun, it doesn't appear, it looks like we're going to get a ton of rainfall, particularly along the coastline. You're looking at uh, one to two inches uh, over the next several days of precip, uh, around a half an inch to an inch just about everywhere else. You look at these forecasts, the next two days are going to be wet. The weekend's going to be about an inch, inch and a half, a total precip, a good thing we're not sitting out in the middle of the Atlantic. We could be getting as much as three or four inches if that storm moved inland a little bit. So, you know, this is not necessarily what we need for ideal recovery. Um, and soil temperatures, honestly, have not budged, Carl, since last week when we talked about this. We're still in the mid to in the mid 50s at its peak, and it's getting into the 50s up the Hudson Valley. But you come up here. But we've got a lot of damage. We've got still got soils in the upper 30s and 40s. Now, of course, weed control is one of those things you use temperature for. And, you know, those maps are, Kevin keeps them on the degree day tracker. I'd encourage you to go look at them. But if we're talking about heat, Kevin, now I'm setting you up, buddy. This is what I'm seeing guys doing. It's like, you know, how much is dead? Let me try these covers. They put a couple in some spot areas. Right. And, and uh, you, let me see, let me get this. Some people are going for black sand, right? This is an easier way to go. Maybe not as labor intensive. You look closer, you can really see uh, the, the sort of increase that you get. And so here he is, we don't have to show him uh, in this great blog post that he did in 14. And Kevin, here's the picture you used kid. You know, this is what it looked like in April of 2014 you know, what, what's going to come back. And, and it looks like your predictions were okay. What was dead was dead. And what you thought would come back would come back. So listen, I'm going to stop sharing and, and just, you know, first I'd ask you just simply to comment on, you know, what, what you heard me yak about uh, and, and, and then take us on a little journey for what superintendents experiencing this damage are going to have to deal with trying to get these things recovered. Thanks, Frank. Just to just to clarify, did you call me kid just a little while ago? Because if if so, I appreciate that. I don't get do. that very much anymore. I do. So I'll call you kid. I'll call you brother. I do all sorts of seventies lingo. <laughs> so I guess that's that's refreshing. Um, you know, it's it's interesting what's going on. We we haven't had, uh, as far as I know, we've had a little bit of spotty damage around this area, but we haven't had any um, real significant winter kill that I'm aware of. But um, those temps you're talking about, um, you're talking about the precipitation totals and stuff coming. Um, we're talking in the solid form, although they're saying it's not going to stick around in the next uh, couple of days, but they're talking snowfall. Um, so that gives you an idea of, of the challenge that winter kill reestablishment presents is just those soil temps. You, you know, if you're in the 30s in areas or just creeping up into 40s, um, I, I still think when you, you know, first of all, what's dead? <laughs> I, I have I have no, you know, maybe I'm a good guesser, but from what I've seen over the years, if it's like those white colors where it's completely bleached, I think it's gone. Uh, um, th those are the ones that I, those are the areas that I look at and go, you got to have a plan. Anything that's, you know, brownish, toastier, um, 
at least in this area, like where we deal with, I don't think it's generally dead. Now you get to the plain states where I guess they've had a bunch of desiccation injury this year that sounds pretty disastrous. Everything out there is just brown, brown is dead. Um, but we deal more with these moisture issues. Um, you know, you can try to assess it, you know, as, as many soups have done, you know, bring bring a core in, heat it up in your, your shop and you get a quick assessment, probably faster than you're gonna get out in the field. Um, I still think when it comes to reestablishment, it's a get things going sooner rather than later. Um, one of the big challenges, of course, can just be soil moisture of like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna prep that dead seed bed, so to speak? Um, and whether you're gonna be able to get in there if it's, obviously if it's soaking wet, you don't wanna do damage by whether you're using a job saver attachment, whether you're slit seeding, whether you're verticutting and dragging seed in, whatever it is. That, that okay, well, that, that brings to the first question, right? Because you know, like I know, every turf manager's first move is to poke a hole. It's the first move every time poke a hole. What do you recommend relative to poking a hole as far as warming that whole system up, right? If, if heat is what's going to drive this thing, is disturbance key to that or is it secondary to that? I think it depends. I mean, if that's all you've got going for you uh, of trying to warm it up, I think I'd go ahead and open it up. If you have covers, if you have, you know, you want to go out there and put black sand on it, if you want to use just a, a pigment, that you spray that makes it green and camouflages it and helps warm it up. Um, maybe I'd go ahead and do that before I before I start prepping the seed bed. But I think I still think that also depends. You know, if if you think it's dead, I still think I'd go rather than wait. I've, I've seen guys you know argue over this that you know whether it's pie in the sky or whatever that no I don't think it's dead I'm going to wait. And I was like, well, every day you wait. You know, you look at the forecast and everybody thinks they know what's going on. And then all of a sudden you have like here in East Lansing area, we had 60 degrees on Monday. And that really wasn't, it was supposed to be a decent day, but it wasn't supposed to be that nice. Now the rest of the week is awful, but <laughs> it's like you kind of take it when it comes. And if you're not, if you, if you don't get prepped and get things in the ground, I mean, you know, you're just delaying the inevitable, I think in many cases. So in your mind, when you see that, stuff you're sure is dead how do you then decide should i try to um prep it for seed or cut it and sod it plug it how do you what has been your experience in making that decision i think a lot of people start with seed realize how long it takes give up and sod it <laughs> So, and it obviously depends on the size of the area, like that, like that um, picture you showed from Beth page, you know, that just that long slender area, something like that. You know, if you've got sod, if you got plugs, I'd probably get it over with and just be done with it. And, you know, people say, well, it doesn't match perfectly or, you know, it takes a little while, but it's just, I mean, you know, sometimes the best case scenario is we, as we battle through these spring periods, you might be eight weeks before you have anything that you feel like you can play on, you know, and, and that's why if it's minor damage and you've got a big nursery green and it's, it's a birdbath type damage or something, I think in many cases, just get it done with. 
So what about the covering driving up the heat? How much have you played around with is a pigment better than black sand? If I put black sand in a pigment, does that save me to cover? Uh, here's the thing that's on my mind. Whenever we talk covers, you're always going to play the game. It's on, and then, you know, you get that 60-degree day, and it, and it gets, you know, it gets heating up, and you start to freak out, so you pull it off, and then you got those, you know, stakes every two feet, and then they're getting thrown somewhere where a mower can hit them. So how do you reconcile? How do you decide? how to make recommendations to folks on warming up the system. I think with covers, you know, how many guys do you have on staff that can help you yank covers all the time? I think that's a big factor. Um, I honestly, you know, we've, it's been, you know, quite a few years since we tried to do the cover reestablishment studies. The thing that we found is you might get some benefit um, till it's out of the ground, but after that, I think it diminishes pretty quick. Um, probably your biggest benefit is cold nights. You know, so it's like I'm looking at our forecast. We're in the 30s or we're in the single, not single digits, we're close to it this weekend. Ooh. And then even next week, it's like 30s every night with highs maybe around 50. Um, so that's that's an awful scenario. But assuming you're a little bit warm in that, if you see those nights where it's colder, I think sometimes just that benefit of having that cover in place overnight can maybe help it uh, keep going a little bit. Um, one of the problems with the covers, as you alluded to, Frank, was just, the constant pull and push, right? So it's like, okay, so, you know, I get out there, I establish it, it's growing. Okay, I want to mow or I want to spray some fertilizer or whatever. And you got to push, pull this thing off, spray, put it back on. I think you kind of run, get to a point where it's just like, it's, uh, you're chasing your tail. So I think, I think there's, there's probably some benefit initially, especially when it's cold. But after that, I'd probably just pull them and get, just forget it. Um, yeah, because once they get covered and they get warm, if we get those single digits, you probably have, like I have, seen them get set back even further yeah. than if you didn't do anything. Yeah. So, so, and I think the, uh, you know, pigment versus black sand, we played around with that. Um, we didn't see as much heating effect as we thought we would with the pigment, but I think it was, it was probably our own fault is we didn't continually spray the pigment and it tended to fade on us. Um, so I think if you're going to use like a, a green green pigment, you, you need to have that sprayed regularly. And so some guys have even complained, or not complained, they've said, you know, I started using that. And then I realized, you know, I can't, I can't tell what's dead anymore. <laughs> because it, it just camouflaged everything. And it's like, it's great for maybe the golfer or something, but for the superintendent, they're going, geez, you know, what are the areas I need to touch up? Um, I think the black, black sands worked great. Um, I had a Superintendent Northern Michigan one year when I walked onto his golf course, I literally gasped. Um, he had he had used uh, malorganite to a level that I don't think I had ever seen before, um, but it helped him. Now it, it's helped him heat up, you know, especially as you get Northern Michigan, like you know, Frank. I mean, you're sitting next to Lake Michigan and stuff, and it's never warming up until June sometimes. But you also have that issue of dealing with that nutrient load, and then you know, at some point, trying to you know, blow that fertilizer off to the edges or whatever and pick it up. But, you know, you, you kind of see it all at some point, anything to try to help facilitate warming up that surface when it's, uh, when weather isn't helping us out. Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember years ago, uh, there was a senior men's open in, uh, at Western country club in Salem, Massachusetts, and they had a massive, uh, winter kill and they went out and sprayed like 
30 ounces of ferrous sulfate and just turn the place black to try to draw heat to it. Um, you know, I want you to give me an assessment, right? You're looking at the next couple of weeks. You know what you know. I want to put into people's heads here and get on the get on the record. It's it's not, we could be a month to six weeks from having a playable surface on these sorts of damaged greens. Is that a reasonable assessment? If if an if a whole green is is damaged that you're looking at, you know, four to six weeks to get it into play. Frank, I think that's a that's a very optimistic assessment. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going back to what we saw, you know, the epic event of 13, 14, and 1450, kind of 14, 15 in the northern part of the country. You know, you look back at that weather, it's probably not a whole lot different than it was it is right now as far as being cold. And we had you know, some cases 18 greens wiped out. If if they were back on on the first week of June, it was pretty good. Um, and, and certainly at that point, they weren't up to, you know, insert your country club facilities name, their standards, but at least they were playing them. So that was looking at closer, you know, you're, what were you saying, four to six weeks? That was looking at maybe like six to eight to 10. So what about inputs? Um... You know, we went through the coring business. We'll maybe revisit that. But what about input? Should you be goosing them with nitrogen? Uh, should you be, you know, starter fertilizer? What do you recommend uh, that is going to help? I think any and all, right? Okay. I mean, you're, you're pushing growth. So I, I still advocate, you know, just like you're reestablishing, put down a starter when you seed. And then I've seen it both ways of people using more, you know, complete fertilizers as they go forward or guys just going, Hey, I'm just going to, as soon as it's up and growing, I'm going to spray it, you know, 10th of a pound of N every, every week, um, you know, throw some other stuff in there if you want, but, you know, I think it's primarily nitrogen that's going to help you grow. And you got, you have to switch the mindset from, and this is a struggle, right? You've got areas of that green that are probably just fine and areas that are dead. It's hard to, you know, you got a target spray, maybe a um, little spray hawk or something like that. But you also have to shift that mindset that I'm now trying to grow grass instead of manage on the edge where I want firm, fast putting greens. And also don't forget about water, you know, because you're, you're probably going to have to, if, you're, if it's spotty areas, you're going to have to hand water those areas. Uh, you can't let it dry out, right? I mean, that's just number one. But one, one of those days you referred to where it's 65 or whatever, and you guys kind of forget about that spot, seed might be up, but it can go in a hurry. So, um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's something you will have to kind of, you probably don't catch up the rest of the year in some of these areas. I mean, it's not going to be the same because you've reestablished and you pushed it probably more than you wanted to, but you had to get grass. I mean, that's the number one thing. You got to get grass. Yeah. And, and the worst part is, as you said, the, the areas that aren't damaged, if you start doing that recovery stuff to them, now you're going to have organic matter accumulation problems. If you start pushing growth there, Carl questions. Did I see one come up? Yeah. Yeah. We do have a question from, from our guy, Josh out in Saratoga, uh, solid or permeable covers and if we're talking about the the winter injury we're seeing this year which 
seems to be, it seems like less of the, the permanent ice cover and more of this uh, fluctuations in temperature. What, what are your opinions on those? Kevin? I think it's whatever cover you have, but if I have a choice, I would probably take the permeable. Permeable, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Kevin, we got one minute, buddy, but you brought up a really good point. It's probably good for superintendents who are experiencing this to pace themselves, right? Because my experience is you exert a lot of energy to get these things back and it's May 1st or June 1st and it feels like September 1st. So I think what you're saying is it may actually take most of the year to get it back, which if you've got large areas and you got a nursery, that may be the tipping point right there that I can probably get this turfed area back in shape in two weeks, three weeks versus waiting for seed to fill in and yeah. seeding bent grass into bent pole greens. Bent grass seed's not going to jump out of the ground. If yeah. I, do you even recommend throwing bent grass seed or should we just stir it up and let the poa seed do its thing? I, I think you, you know, the studies we've done, although you, you doubt yourself, bent will get in there and we'll make a foothold by the end of the season. I think, I think the thing too, Frank, which is very difficult um, for the superintendent, they stare at it every freaking day. Every day. And it's like, when you look at it every day, and I know you're going to, it is so hard to feel like you're making progress. It's like, I would come out to a site one week and I may go back a week later or two weeks later and I go, wow, you've made tremendous progress. And they look at it and go, really? I hadn't noticed. Cause I look at it every freaking day and it's driving me crazy, you know? Um, if you have the sporadic damage, that's tough because you got to seed into it. If you got isolated where you can core it, you can sod it and get it over with, I'd probably just do it if you've got the ability to do it because you're going to be chasing your tail no matter what. It's just, I, I don't think the isolated damage is easier to deal with than when it's sporadic pot marks of POA that died all across the green. Kevin, it's so great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. I'm glad the windows worked out. <laughs> We're all, we're all good. It's not even raining today, right. so it's a great day to replace windows in a house. All right. Yeah. All right, Carl, get us out of here. Yeah, thanks, everybody. This is uh, this has been episode three of our Cornell Turf Show this year. Also, I guess doubles as a, a half an hour long ad for bent grass. Uh, if, if you want to look at it that way, it's, it's one long ad for bent grass. But uh, uh, thanks again for joining today. Tomorrow we'll have Evan uh, Mesquiti from Penn State. We're going to be talking about infields and working the dirt early in the year. So uh, if you're interested in that, tune in tomorrow. Thanks all for joining. We'll see you next time. This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.